Thank you for that prayer, and thank you for that wonderful song, number 658. Um, I did not know that song beforehand, but uh, as the uh, deer longs for the cooling waters of the streams with a parched mouth, so our souls long for God. I, I love that idea, that concept, that we would want to, to love God with all of our hearts and minds and souls. And so uh, that's kind of the theme for the day, so let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If you were uh, not able to make it to church last Sunday, we started a, kind of a new series uh, on Malachi. If you don't know the book, it's only four little chapters. You, it's a fun read. It's not a comfortable read. It's a fun read, though. And I would uh, just uh, in, uh, encourage you now to turn on page 657, or 675, I'm sorry, and turn with me to Malachi for the next few moments. Um, and if you have your own Bible, it's Malachi. We're going to focus on chapter 2, but I want to just do uh, a little bit in chapter 1 in case you missed last Sunday, okay? So, so just the overview of chapter 1 and then a little bit in chapter 2. But uh, you, you all know what it's like to, to long for somebody, to be uh, in love with somebody. Uh, when you're 16 years of age, uh, you burn with fire for somebody. Uh, you know, flashbang grenades and fireworks and the whole nine yards. And, and then hopefully, if you marry that somebody, some 40 or 50 years later, you're still going to have love in your heart. But it's going to be in a deeper place, a different place. The seasons of love change. And hopefully, if it's a good relationship, it'll get deeper and deeper and more natural to you. Leslie, this woman in the front row here, has put up with me for almost 25 years. On December 15th, I think I got that right, we will have been married for 25 years. And uh, it has been a joy and a pleasure, but if you asked me on day one, what is love, I would not have had any idea. You know, we burn with a type of love, a type of passion, but it's different now 25 years later. So is your relationship with God. Some of you go to Curcio or maybe met God somewhere else and you burn with fire and passion and it overwhelmed your soul and then years later you just feel like the fire went out somewhere along the way. That can happen. So today our lesson is about a people whose fire had gone out for God. That is the people of Malachi's day. Their fires had gone out. Last week we talked about how their love for God uh, had died, and it was reflected in the worship life of the ancient Israelites. We also talked about the fact that Malachi means messenger, and so this is a message from God about love. This is God's love letter to his people who have lost their love for God, and what's he saying? Return to me. Love me again. Long for me like a deer would long for the water brooks. I love you. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. God starts the, the letter saying, I love you. I love you. And then the people say back to God, how have you loved us? You see, the entire book is a love letter by a loving God who's calling his people to repent and return with all their hearts and to love him with their full selves. But not this people. 
They wanted all the perks of a relationship with God and yet none of the demands of a loving relationship. They wanted all the blessings about being in love with God, but they wanted none of the commitment that is formed out of a covenant relationship with God. So they failed to honor God. And last week, look at verse 6, we said that God comes to them as a father. And he says, if I am your father, where's my honor? In other words, I have loved you like a father, and you've not returned your love for me. Where is my honor? Where is my love? So this whole group's a bunch of covenant breakers, for goodness sake, a bunch of sinners. And it says in verse 6 of chapter 1, they've despised the Lord's name. Now how have they done that? Look at verse 7. They're offering polluted food upon God's altar. They bring to the altar in the sacrifice uh, lambs that are blind, diseased livestock, polluted food, their second best. You see, even their worship reflects where their heart is, right? Their heart is far from God. And God's saying, come back to me with all you have and all you are. Look at verse 11. He says, my name is meant to be great among the nations. And incense and a pure offering should be offered in every place to my name. Get those two things. A pure offering. Your first, your finest, your blessed, your, your very best to the Lord. And the second thing, incense. So on a high holy day, when I pull incense out in this church and you start the coffin, know that it said in the Bible that we're to offer incense in every place to the Lord, okay? So don't bring your second best. Because what you do in worship represents where your heart is with Jesus. And so they were bringing their seconds, stale, old, lackadaisical worship. Now that same sort of worship had spilled out into their personal lives. It wasn't just how they approached God on Sunday morning at the altar. It was now a serious thing that had affected their families and their church and, and their temple. And so they were just going through the motions, going through the motions with God. And that's the title of this sermon. Going through the motions with God. Perhaps you're in that place today. Perhaps you, you, you've, you've lost that fire in your heart. And God is calling you today to return to the Lord and have that fire again. And to quit going through the motions. In Malachi chapter 2, that word covenant comes up a lot. That we've made a covenant with the Most High God. There are four things that you need to know about a covenant today. A covenant implies a relationship between two parties, okay? A covenant is a relationship between two parties outside of your biological family. So it's not your biological family. There are mutual obligations in a covenant, and the covenant is established by oaths, both oaths taken and oaths given. You might think of marriage. Marriage is a covenant, right? It's a covenant of love between two people who are not biologically related unless you're from Darlington County. <laughs> then there are some exceptions. I, I just, I'm just from Hartsville, we come from Darlington County, okay. Um, but marriage is a covenant where, where you say, will you have this man to be your husband? And, and the woman says, yes, I'll, I promise to love him in comfort and, and sickness and in health and forsaking all others be faithful to him. I do, I do. So there's a covenant involved. And, then the priest turns to the man and says, will you have this woman? And he says, I do. 
So two people outside of a biological connection have mutual obligations to love and comfort one another all the days of their lives. That's what a covenant is. Our relationship with God is a similar sort of covenant. Because whether it happened for you in the privacy of your prayer closet somewhere, or at a retreat when you were in high school, or perhaps with a bishop on a confirmation day, somewhere, sometime, you knelt before God, if you're a Christian today, and you said, okay, God, I do. I do. I accept you as Lord of my life. I do. I accept you as Savior of my soul. I do. I thank you for the cross of Jesus. I do. But have you lost the love? You started a covenant. Have you lost the love? Because that's what happened in Malachi. Malachi, the word covenant, is mentioned ten times more than any other book of the Old Testament except for four. So covenant relationship of love is primary. And they were covenant breakers. You remember how we were created? In Genesis, it says that you were made in God's image. In God's image. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, that your side of the covenant is to bear that image to the world. Jesus says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who's in heaven. That's your side of the covenant. That's what you said I do to when you said I love you, Jesus, as Lord. But these were covenant breakers. And their lives looked just like the pagan lives in the culture around them. So I ask you, are you a covenant keeper or a covenant breaker? Does your life reflect God or does it reflect the culture? Are you just like your unbelieving pagan co-workers or that unbelieving person in your school? If your life doesn't reflect a different reality straight from God out to the world, perhaps you've lost your love for God, okay? So that's what Malachi is saying. Now, Malachi, in chapter 2, verse 1, first calls out the priests, for goodness sake. Look at verse 1, and I'm sure he's talking about Tyler and John here. Because it says this, verse 1 of chapter 2, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen... If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then what's he going to do in verse 3? He's going to take the people that serve at his altar, and rather accepting their detestable sacrifices that they were bringing, their seconds, their leftovers, says in verse 3, he's going to take out what's in the stomach and the entrails, all the excrement from the animal, and he's going to spread it on his priests. Serious. PG-13. I, mean, I, could get, I could get R-rated on you there if I wanted to, but I, I'm not going to. But he said because of their half-hearted worship, they'd become detestable to him. And they were unworthy, unclean to come before his altar. Now, that's a heavy weight. Matthew Henry says of priests of the church, he said, nothing profanes the name of God more than the misconduct of those whose business it is to honor his holy name. If I fail you, I fail deeply. If John fails you, he's failed deeply. Because we failed to be your shepherds. So that's heavy stuff. But he doesn't want you guys to be let off the hook either. Uh, let's look at verse 11. This is Judah, the people of God. He says to those people of God, he says, you've been faithless. And an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. 
For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now what is that about? Why, why is it so difficult to marry a foreign god, a foreign daughter, uh, somebody else from another country? Well, here's the deal. If you have ever been married, you know that the day you move in, things change. Now, you get married first, and then you move in. You keep the order, okay? Don't reverse the order, all right? But that first day you move in, after you're married, you think, guys, that things are going to be 50-50, right? I mean, you, you've got this bear skin rug that this bear you shot up in Alaska. you got a 10-point buck that you got from Alabama. you got this beautiful print of hunting dogs from the Wildlife Expo in Charleston. You've got sports memorabilia, and you think it's going to be 50-50. Little do you know that you'll come home from work one day, and all the stuff that you've been putting up is going to be taken down. And in its place is going to be all this frou-frou stuff, all, all these knick-knacks and watercolors of English gardens and that sort of thing. And, and if you want to remain married, you're going to say, yes, ma'am, it looks great. That's what you're going to say. And so you let her put up all of her stuff, and uh, you get your stuff put in a special closet. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's above a garage in a place that nobody ever goes, and they made up a special word for it. They call it your man cave. <laughs> so let's shove all his stuff in there, and he'll be happy. The Jeffords, of course, never have this thing going on in their house. Of course not. But some guys come into that relationship, and they slowly see themselves squeezed out in some ways. And that's okay with regard to knickknacks and that sort of thing. But these foreign women, they were bringing gods and goddesses into the homes of faithful Hebrew people. And they weren't just knickknacks. These were gods and goddesses worshipped alongside the Lord God of hosts of Israel. You can't do that. In fact, every time Malachi says the Lord of hosts, what he's talking about is that our Lord is the Lord of all the hosts of angels. Every created being in the entire cosmos. He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and he will not accept other, other suitors. We either love him with all that we have, or we don't love him at all. So the men were allowing their wives to affect their personal relationship with God. And the other thing they were doing, look at verse 13. This is the second thing I have against you, God said. This is the other detestable thing is, guys, you're divorcing your wives out of selfish desires and out of whims of pleasure. In other words, you are not respecting the covenant of marriage that I created. How many times have I heard people in their middle age saying about their spouses, just don't love her anymore, just don't love her. The feelings are gone. The seven-year itch has come. It's time to upgrade the model. Trade her in for a supercharged V8 with a sunroof that goes zero to 60 in record time. The old model of my youth is worn out. That's what God's saying. You have thrown away the marriage of your youth. Now, if you get in your midlife crisis, it's okay to, to go get a new car sometimes. Don't go get a new wife. Uh, verse 14 says, she is your companion and your wife by covenant. You've made a covenant relationship with her. And if that's not heavy enough, look at verse 15. It says that this covenant was a covenant that was established by God. 
He gave them his portion of his spirit in their union. So if you break covenant with your wife or you break covenant with your husband, you're not only breaking that covenant, you're breaking your covenant with God. So in a perfect world, every marriage is going to be a triangular relationship. The man to the woman joined together in the spirit of God. And when you say no to one or the other, you're breaking it all apart. You see, it's a three-part relationship. My cousin, a few years ago, got divorced down in Florida. And uh, during the divorce, he, it was called a no-fault divorce. And uh, in, in a no-fault divorce, I'm not a lawyer, uh, but you can break the marriage covenant for no reason whatsoever without showing any wrongdoing. My friends, God's saying there are no no-fault divorces. Women get hurt. Men get hurt. Children get hurt. Society gets hurt. There are no no-faults. Everybody's hurt when we don't keep to God's plan. So the man's covenant responsibility before God is for you to protect your wife. It says there today in the second chapter that they were throwing their wives away and treating them with violence because they weren't the protectors of their household. My friends, you are called to make sure that your wife is cared for, protected, and loved, and your children are cared for, protected, and loved. They are your first mission ground. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church. He gave himself up for her and sacrificed for her, cleansing her and washing her, that he might present the church one day in great splendor without spot or wrinkle or any blemish before the Lord. So your mission in life, if you're a man, is to present your family and your children and your wife to the Father without spot or blemish. That's your greatest goal in life. The people of Malachi's day were not create, uh, taking that covenant seriously. They were throwing their wives away and destroying them and their families in the process. You see, here's the deal. America's not much better than the time of Malachi, is it? Divorce rates are skyrocketing. People are throwing each other away on a whim for selfish desires, wanting to upgrade the model. You see, I'm not foreign to the need to repent. But all of this that we read about in Malachi 2 is a, that they have lost their heart relationship with God, and it not only affected their worship, but it affected their marriages and their children and their society. That's where we are in America. And I'm in need of repentance as well. Sometimes, even as a priest, I go through the motions with God and read these beautiful prayers in this prayer book without my heart entering into worship. Even as a priest, I get seduced into to giving God my leftovers. After all, we still got a mortgage back in Conway. How are we going to tie to the things of God? I have a million reasons why I would not give generously to the things of God. Sometimes I have neglected to be a good spouse to my wife. Sometimes I've neglected to be a good father to my children. Sometimes I wake up on Sunday morning and look at the weather report and think, man, I'd love to go to the beach today. I'd rather be anywhere than in the church. And some days like today, I'm like, man, I'd just like to sleep in. It's cloudy. It feels great. Sometimes our hearts are all far from God. And that's okay. If we realize it and repent and return. Remember, Malachi is a love letter sent from God to a people who are far from God. And he's saying, I love you. 
Now return to me with all your hearts and all your minds and all your souls. And guess what? There's a wonderful promise in Ezekiel chapter 36. If you're willing to come back to the Lord today, here's what he'll do for you. In 36.25, he said, I'm going to sprinkle you clean with water. And from all your uncleanliness, I will cleanse you. So if you've got a past where you have done some of these things that you've wandered away from God or maybe broken a covenantal relationship, God's promise is through the cross. He can redeem it and restore it and forgive it. But he goes on in verse 26 and says, Not only will the past be gone, but I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit inside your, your chest. And when I put my spirit within you, he will cause you to keep my statutes and obey my rules. I'll sprinkle you clean, and I'll give you strength to do what you can't do on your own. And that is to live a moral, godly, sold-out life to the Most High God. So if you've been unfaithful in worship, if you've been unfaithful in your family, your church, to your children, to your God, Jesus can forgive it all. And the second half of that is true as well. If you'll invite him into your heart, he'll give you strength to be the kind of person you can't be on your own. It's all about love. It's about loving God and receiving his spirit more and more and more. Maybe you loved God years ago and maybe today's the day you come back. Remember, love can get deeper and deeper and more meaningful and rich and more natural over time, even our love relationship with God. You know, I hear a lot of people saying, we need to get America back on track. And they say this, and, and they say, if we were just like my parents' generation, we would all be great, and we'd be fine again. That is not true. That's not true. Because until America's heart returns to Jesus, none of our morality is going to be uh, where it should be. Because a moral character comes from a heart that loves God. If you love God, then it reflects into the world. Jesus said, shine your light out. C.S. Lewis, 70 years ago, wrote a book called The Abolition of Man. During my parents' generation. And he said during that time that our problem is not intellectual and it's not instinctual. He uses the word cerebral or visceral. He said those aren't our problems. We got that. He said what we lack is the middle, the inside in the chest thing. He said because our intellect is mere spirit and our appetite is mere animal, but what we're missing is in the middle. He says this, you can hardly open a periodical. Imagine yourself in the grocery store line, you got all these, these magazines, these periodicals. He said you can, this is England 70 years ago, you can hardly open one of these that, that don't call our civilization to have more dynamism or self-sacrifice or they call uh, England of that time to have greater creativity. He said, in a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ, meaning the heart, and we demand the function that is better people. Unless the hearts change, people won't be better. C.S. Lewis says, we make men without chess and expect them to have virtue and in enterprise. We laugh at honor. And we're shocked to find traitors in our midst. And here's the real kicker. We castrate and bid the geldings go and be fruitful. Now, if you don't understand that last analogy, ask a farmer after service today. Uh, we castrate the horse 
and ask the gelding to be fruitful. C.S. Lewis says, you remove the heart of man, we become chestless people. You remove our heart to God, we have no character and no morality. So that's why Malachi writes, not to indict the people and leave them in their sin, but to give them a chance to start over, to renew their relationship with God, to rekindle the fire, to come back to him with all their hearts. We call it repentance. And so whether you've loved God for a short time, for a very long time, if you've fallen out of love with God, I call you to repentance. God, in a Revelation 2, calls out the church of, of uh, Ephesus, and he says, you have abandoned me. Come back to your first love. Calls them back, just like Malachi. In Revelation 3.16, he says, man, to the church of Laodicea, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm in your love for me. Come back to me, he says. See, God doesn't care about your past. You got a really small rearview mirror on your car, right? He's done with your past. You got a big old windshield up front in which you, through which you can see the future, right? And you come to the cross, God cares about what's in front. So today, this very day, if your heart is far from God, if you've got a sunken chest, regather yourself in God's spirit.